Welcome to the Death and Taxes podcast. My name is Brandon Ayers. I am the owner of Ayers Rock Planning, Inc. Uh, I also work as an attorney at Vanek Larson and Kolb here in Chicagoland, Illinois. And I'm happy to bring to you the last episode of our income tax boot camp on this podcast. We're still going to be going on the YouTube channel for a little while. I think two more episodes. But today is really the, the smorgasbord. The things that didn't quite fit into other podcast episodes that I need to fit in, you need to know about. So that's what we're going to cover today. Before I get into that, though, I do just need to remind you, although I am an attorney, I'm not your attorney. Although I do have financial licenses, I am not anybody's financial advisor. I'm definitely not yours, too, because you are somebody. So get your own advice. Reach out to me. You can always find me on Twitter at Ayers Rock Plans. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Ayers Rock Planning. You can find me on YouTube at Ayers Rock Planning, uh, and our website, AyersRockPlanning.com. So you can find me and give me feedback there. But you also have trusted people in your life, in your area, that you can find too, to give you advice uh, that's specific to you. This is all just kind of entertainment or informational here. So today's episode is going to be a little different. Usually I kind of just go on a monologue rant um, or just a long storytelling type of thing. And today's going to be more just clips of, hey, here's what you need to know about this. And then we'll, frankly, have a hard cut, and then I'll tell you, here's what you need to know about this. And we'll do that for as long as I feel up for it here today. And uh, we'll, we'll see just where we end up, just get you some good, solid information. If you think about this, I just went to a comedy club this weekend with my wife and some friends, and I, you know, I was thinking about the, putting this episode together. You know, there's comedians that are like, um, I think like Nate Berbiglia or Mike Berbiglia, and a little bit Nate Bargatze. You know, they have long stories that they tell in their routines. And then there's like Mitch Hedberg or, um, oh, I'm forgetting the guy's name from Reservoir Dogs back in the day, but they're more just like one-liners, right? This is going to be more the one-liner type of podcast today, not the long storytelling. So where I want to start is uh, with dependents because it's a common question of, well, who qualifies as a dependent? And it's a complicated answer because there's actually not one test, but seven tests that have to be met in order for somebody to claim someone as a dependent on uh, their tax return. And these are all very fact sensitive, but um, we'll just run through them here. All seven of them is the, the first thing we talk about. So if you can answer yes to all seven of these tests, then you can claim somebody as a dependent. And I'll just uh, fly through some that are kind of, I think, perfunctory if you're kind of having this. It's, some of them are obvious. And there's some that, that actually, oh, this is where the line is for kids, for example. So first, we have the dependent taxpayer test. In order to claim another person as a dependent, they cannot be eligible to be claimed on somebody else's return. Straightforward. Joint return tests, test number two. A person can't be treated as a dependent if they file a joint return with a spouse. So once your daughter gets married and they start filing a joint return, spouse and spouse, that daughter's no longer dependent on yours. Fails a joint return test. And there are some exceptions, but we're not going to get into the details, but that's just the test. Citizen or resident test. A dependent has to be a U.S. citizen, U.S. national, U.S. resident alien, or resident of Canada or Mexico. And then an adopted child or a child that's been placed for an adoption that's lived with the taxpayer all year passes if the taxpayer is a citizen or national. That's a citizenship or residence test. That's test number three. Test number four, a relationship test. Who's eligible as a qualifying child? We'll start there. Qualifying children can be, you know, son or a daughter, a stepchild, a foster child, 
Now, so those are pretty obvious, but also brother, sister, half brother, half sister, stepbrother, stepsister, grandchild, niece, nephew, but they have to meet all these other tests as well. Those can be qualifying children. Then there's qualifying relative, which sometimes gets overlooked here. Qualifying relative can be claimed as a dependent if they pass the six other tests other than the qualifying relationship test here. But, you know, like I said, son or daughter, uh, grandchild, that type of thing, father or mother, ancestor or sibling of those people, grandparents, aunts, uncles, but not a foster parent, step everything's in-laws, father-in-laws, and then any other person other than a spouse who's lived with the taxpayer all year as a member of the taxpayer's household if the relationship doesn't violate the law. That kind of hints back to some archaic, in my opinion, pieces of laws it's from state to state and locality to locality. But so those relationship tests, they can basically be the child, they're basically almost any family member or member of the household is the real summary of it. But you want to be very sensitive to not be on the wrong side of the line with that. So that's the relationship test, qualifying child, qualifying relative. Then there's a residency test. A child has to have lived with a taxpayer for more than half the year. So if there's a divorce situation and one of the parents has zero custody or custody for five months out of a year, that child fails the residency test. But there are exceptions to time to live with a taxpayer. You know, there's temporary absences such as school uh, for medical care, military service, juvenile uh, detention. Some a child you don't think of this a child who's died in the year, even if it was in May, is treated as they live for the whole year with the person. A child kidnapped by a non-family member, so you can get kind of dark places with this. Um, but there's, as you can imagine, these questions have been asked to the IRS before, so there's there's all sorts of rules on it. But basically, if you just want to draw a bright line, it's child live with a taxpayer more than half the year. Um, the relative for for non-children cannot be a taxpayer. Meaning they don't aren't required to file a tax return, or only files to re- get a refund of withheld income tax or est- estimated taxes that they have to pay. So that's for non-children. That's the residency test, age test. So for children, this is test number six now for children. The child must be under the age of nineteen at the end of the year, and younger than the taxpayer or the one of the taxpayers if you're married filing jointly, or under the age of twenty-four and younger than the taxpayer and a student. You know, student has to be enrolled full time at a school or far or training course. It has to be, you know, we've got school definitions that we can get into, but basically think of it as accredited institutions or government uh, endorsed or run institutions or agencies, or you have permanently disabled children during any age that, that are disabled any time during the year. So that's again for children, that's age number six. For the qualifying relative, the next test is a gross income test. Uh, you have to have gross income of less than $4,300. That was 2021. So you have an income test that you have to pass. Back to the children, the last test, support test. Child cannot provide over half of their own support. So even if you have your veritable son living in your basement, if they work and live and support themselves, uh, get provided their own support for over half of the support that they need, uh, that is uh, that would make them fail the support test. And that applies to both qualifying children and qualifying relatives. So you have the seven tests. A little bit of difference when the residency and then the sixth test, age test versus the income test, whether you're talking about a child or a relative. But those are the seven tests. If you pass those tests, you can be claimed as a dependent on somebody else's tax return. Or if your child or relative passes those tests, you can claim them as a dependent on your tax return. Another common question is, what about this kitty tax I've heard a lot of? And kitty tax is usually applies to 
unearned income of children. Uh, so unearned, I guess you'd be thinking about uh, royalties or if they're beneficiaries of something receiving some passive type of income. When a child's unearned income is more than $2,200, whether or not they're a dependent, but have a parent alive, there's a kitty tax. So on income between $1,100 and $2,200, that is taxed at the child's rate. So that kind of goes to the child's tax rate. Anything over $2,200 is taxed at the parent's tax rate. So this is a mechanism to avoid parents just assigning all the rent or a chunk of rent to the child and having it be paid at a child's tax rate and not the parent's higher tax rate. So they let you get away with it for $2,200. And then earn income, of course, if a child's working as a model or as an actor or as a whatever else it is, shoveling snow, that's just taxed at the child's rate. Earned income is taxed at the child's rate. So that's the kitty tax. Uh, for kids under 18, uh, the kitty tax applies to them. When they turn 18, it applies unless they earn income that outweighs the unearned income. For students, it's the same thing. If you're a full-time student, up to age 23. Uh, so kitty tax applies. So there's forms and all sorts of rules. This is a big area where uh, wealthy parents or high income earning parents have tried to uh, lessen tax bills and the IRS is very sensitive to it. So they have these rules that are pretty much allow for a little wiggle room. And but then after that, it's it's done. So these rates are, were for 2021, by the way. Uh, so they change a little bit, uh, most likely in 2022 here and going forward. I want to talk about medical expenses next. When can you deduct medical expenses? The short answer is you can deduct medical expenses when those medical expenses exceed 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. So remember over on the YouTube channel, we went over the tax form and we got to adjusted gross income. It's that number. Medical expenses have to outweigh or be greater than 7.5% of that number. That's when. So for most people, a common year where people are kind of healthy, you might be paying deductibles. It's not really likely that you're going to be having expenses over 7.5% of your income, but it could be. I'll give you a good example. Uh, my wife and I uh, have a, a two and a half year old son. So with the year he was born, we had medical expenses uh, with what we had to do to, to have him. So um, they far outweighed seven and a half percent of our income that year. So we're able to use that as a deduction. Uh, we were able to deduct that from our income. So medical expenses are not something necessarily that people want, but when you have them, it could be a good tax planning opportunity. Oddly enough, if you have a, a large medical expense, you can deduct that from your taxes as long as it exceeds 7.5% of taxpayers' adjusted gross income. Now, what medical expenses are deductible? This is where we get into kind of technical language uh, from the IRS. So expenses for the costs of diagnosis, the cure, any kind of mitigation or treatment, prevention of disease, and something that affects a portion or function of the body. So they can include, obviously, like medical services by doctors and surgeons, dentists, medical practitioners. Um, but they also include like equipment, diagnostic devices. The expenses, though, have to be, they must address primarily to alleviate or prevent a physical or mental disability or illness. They don't cover things like vitamins or vacation, <laughs> that type of thing. That does not primarily alleviate or prevent a physical or mental disability or illness, according to the IRS. So you can go through all sorts of rules and where people have towed the line and walked over the line uh, for all sorts of things. For example, braces are a dental expense, right? So that, that could count. Chiropractor is a medical expense. 
You know, if you have to get a, a special vehicle, could be a medical expense. Or if you have to putting in like hand controls for somebody that can't use their feet, for a person with a disability, that's a medical expense. That's medical equipment. You know, service dogs. You get all sorts of interesting areas where people qualify things you might not think of as a medical expense. One thing I want to talk about, you know, are, are weight loss programs deductible? If they're treatment for a specific disease that's actually diagnosed by a physician, commonly like obesity, hypertension, heart disease. So if you're paying a, a fee for a membership in a weight reduction group, or you're paying a fee for a weight loss activities at a gym or a spa, or food costs that are abnormally high to what they call a normal diet, um, they have some standards that if you meet, you can deduct those costs. I find that one really interesting. Long-term care, you know, qualified long-term care costs are deductible as medical expenses. So that, that's, that's something important to, to consider if you're looking at long-term care. The expenses related to someone attending a special education school, tuition, meals, lodging, if the primary reason is to help that child overcome the learning disability. Now, behavioral problems, that's, that's a different story. So when you, and obviously, there can be situations where it's kind of interwoven, the behavior and the diagnosis, but, um, but that's, that's an area where you'd want your tax professional to kind of get down in the, the weeds of what's actually going on. So those are medical expenses. Let's go on to the next topic. A common question we get asked for clients who have kids going through college is, are tuition and fees deductible? And this is kind of a new area in the last couple of years related to some of the uh, COVID uh, legislation, specifically the Taxpayer Certainty and Disaster Tax Relief Act passed in 2020, uh, repealed the uh, language for deducting tuition and fees after December 31st, 2020. So we're well into that now. So now there's something called the Lifetime Learning Credit. So Lifetime Learning Credit is 20% of the first $10,000 of qualified education expenses paid for all eligible students. Maximum credit is $2,000 per return, regardless of the number of kids you have that are eligible for it. So there's income restrictions. It's phased out when your adjusted gross income starts to exceed $80,000 for single people, $160,000 for married filing jointly. Same kind of rules as we talked about earlier with the dependents. You know, if somebody's claimed as a dependent on another person's tax return, you can't claim the credit, those types of things. There's, they have restrictions about getting double benefits. And to be an eligible student in general, they must be either be the taxpayer themselves, a spouse, or a dependent. It's kind of like an add-on to, okay, first we have to establish somebody as a dependent, and then we can see if we're eligible for this uh, lifetime learning credit of uh, 20% of the first $10,000 of education expenses capped at 2000 no matter how many eligible kids you might have. So that's a, that's a kind of a new thing that we're just, you know, less than two years into here uh, is that lifetime learning credit. And there's actually a reference. I'll give you a reference. There's a form 8863 titled education credits, kind of is IRS's publication on these types of things. So that's worth reading, giving it once over. It's not complicated. But again, you have to follow the dependent kind of analysis. And then uh, if eligible, you can have up to 20% of that first 10,000. So that's, that's kind of the answer there. But again, it's, it's very fact sensitive. So you want to have your own tax person look that over. So I think that's going to do it for today's episode. We've, we've been at this for a little while. Um, I could go into things with passive rental income, things like that, but those are all so fact sensitive. And frankly, I'm, I'm wading into the really fact sensitive stuff now where I almost talk in and out of things as I go through. And I'm not really happy with that. So if you have any specific questions, go ahead and get a hold of me. 
And give me a comment. Give me a five-star review, first of all. This income tax boot camp's been a lot of fun to do. Um, so give me that five-star review. Uh, tell your friends about, about the podcast, about the YouTube channel. Um, see me on TikTok. I really enjoy doing these things. So anyway, get a hold of me. YouTube channel, Airs Rock Planning. Instagram and TikTok, Airs Rock Planning. Twitter, Airs Rock Plans. A little bit of a curveball. And my website, Airs Rock Planning. So I hope you're having a good time out there. I thank you very much for listening this far to this many episodes of the Income Tax Bootcamp. Uh, we're going to go back to some regular episodes, kind of one-off things here. And eventually, um, probably in the spring, we're going to get into an estate planning boot camp. So that's keep your ears out for that. So give that subscribe right after you get that five-star review. Be safe. Be kind to each other. Adios.